Well, good morning. You all probably, I don't know if you know this, but churches have personalities. And I didn't really know it because you only go to your church. But now that I'm traveling around talking about Isaiah 117 house, I'm in a different church almost every Sunday morning. And churches have personalities. So would you like to know what yours is? It's good. <laughs> it's good. I mean, I'm telling you, from Teresa walking around the pool deck of our hotel yesterday going, Paulson, Paulson, to give us baskets with monogram towels and seashell collectors and, and beach chairs and boogie boards. And there's a beach cart waiting for us in the conference room. And um, you all are just so warm and hospitable. And that was before we got here. And then I walked in this morning and you're fun and you're... You love Jesus, and you can tell it. And so thank you all for being that kind of church. They're not all like that. <laughs> you all are so warm and so welcoming, so thank you very much. My name is Rhonda Paulson, and I'm the founder of Isaiah 117 House. And my favorite thing to do is to share the story of Isaiah 117 House because it's not my story. It's God's story. And it's a story about the God that we love and the God that we serve building homes for children that he's never forgotten. In 2014, I was a cheer and dance coach at a small university and an anatomy professor, which meant I worked in the cadaver lab and then I picked up my pom-poms, which was weird, but that's who I am. Married to my college sweetheart, Corey, who's here with us this morning. Um, two beautiful children, Sophie and Mac. Life was good, easy, predictable. And I wouldn't have told you that I had any regrets, but if you had really pushed me, I would have said, well, I did always believe that I would adopt. I mean, as a small, I mean, like high schooler, I would tell my girlfriends, I'm gonna adopt a baby someday. College, I would tell my college roommates, I'm gonna adopt a baby someday. And how that never came up in the two-year courtship with Corey or premarital counseling, I'm not sure. But sometime in that first year of marriage, which was 1997, I said something like, I cannot wait until we adopt. And he was like, what? I was like, yes, the Lord has always told me I would adopt. He was like, that is so funny. The Lord has always told me I wouldn't. And I'm like, what? Um, and Corey is one of those guys, he really believes if mama's happy, everybody's happy, he lets me have my way about pretty much everything except this. We would be at church, it would be Orphan Sunday, they would show some horrible video about a child not being chosen. I would be under the pew doing the ugly cry and he'd be like, you need to get up. People are looking, Rhonda, I mean, nothing. And so 1997 till 2014, I call that patience. 2014, I was homesick from work, which never happened. I was laying in my bed watching the Today Show and it was National Adoption Month. And they are on the plaza and they have a judge and they are literally making forever families right there on the plaza. So I am bawling because I'm supposed to adopt a baby and my husband won't let me. And then they announced 75% of the children being adopted that day were being adopted through foster care. In 2014, I knew nothing about foster care. I didn't know what DCS stood for. I didn't know where the office was located. I didn't know anyone who'd walked that journey, nothing. But you can Google anything. 
And so I Googled foster care Northeast Tennessee, that's where we live. And the first thing that popped up is that if you wanna be a foster parent, you have to take classes, they're eight week study. And this was a Monday and the classes we needed were starting that Thursday at a church we were very familiar with. And so I believed that was my sign from the Lord. And I did the only thing a God-loving, passionate woman could do. And I called Corey at work and said, want to go on a date Thursday night? He said, I'd love to. And I remember we went out to eat. Um, and when we left, I said, want to drive out to Crossroads Christian Church? He was like, on our date? I was like, yeah, Rhonda. But he drove out to Crossroads Christian Church. And we pulled in. There were lots of cars in the parking lot. And he said, lots of people dating at the Crossroads Christian Church. I know we go in and we sit down and the lady stands up and says, welcome to your eight week study of foster care. Eight week study of foster care. He was not happy. Um, they had left a notepad for us to write notes about the children and he was writing hateful notes and shoving them over to me. And I was like, we're going to get kicked out. He's like, I hope so. I mean, not happy. And I don't know what it says about our marriage, but we left that night and we did not speak a word of what had just happened. We drove home in silence. We went to bed. We got up the next morning. Good morning, Schmoopy. Well, good morning, honey. Lived life like normal till that next Thursday when we met in the driveway and we, we drove out to class in silence. We drove home in silence. Week three, we drove out in silence. We were coming home week three and he said, I don't want to do this. And I said, well, fair enough. I mean, I tricked you into it. You've been a great sport. We made it three weeks. Fair enough. And he's like, oh, don't fair enough, me, Rhonda. And I said, what? And he said, you and God have wrecked me. I'm a wrecked man. He's like, I don't want to do this. You've known me for 20 years, and I like simple, safe, and predictable. And not one thing have I learned about foster care that sounds simple, safe, or predictable. And I don't want to do this. But now I know the numbers. And now I know the statistics. And now I know there are children that just need a home. We, we got to do this. And so we went back week four, week five, week six, week seven. They took us on a field trip. They took us to the Department of Children's Services in Johnson City, Tennessee. This was my first ever visit to a DCS office. Since that time, I've been in several across our state. I've been in several in other states. They are all freakishly the same. There's a lobby and you get buzzed back and there's a sea of cubicles and there's some conference rooms. And so we were in a conference room, no windows, no light. The carpet was real dingy, I remember that. State issued furniture. There was a broken VCR on a cart over to the right conference room. And the gentleman leading the class said, when a child is removed from their home, they come here. And I thought, well, surely he's mistaken because why would you bring a child here? And so I raised my hand and I said, I'm sorry, sir, but when you say a child comes here, what do you mean? And he said, a little girl slept on this carpet last night. And I remember there was a physical pain in my chest I remember my shoulders got real heavy and they went toward the table and I couldn't pick my head up and I couldn't stop seeing her. This six-year-old little girl 
who lost the only mama she'd ever known. And although we might not approve, she did. And if she has anything with her, it's a black trash bag. And now she's sleeping on some dingy carpet alone. And in that moment, I wasn't mad at the system. I wasn't mad at caseworkers. I was mad at God. And I started yelling at him in my mind. I was like, this isn't fair. Like that little girl has done nothing wrong. Who's going to tell her? Who's going to tell her she's loved? Who's going to tell her she's not in trouble? Who's going to tell her? Who's going to tell her there's hope? And I heard God say, these are my children. What are you going to do? And I thought, what am I going to do? I'm a cheer and dance coach. Like, <laughs> that's too big. It seemed way too big to say yes to. And I don't know why the creator of the universe invites us in. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And he invites us into his work. He invites us in through prayer and through scripture and through an experience and through someone that keeps coming across your path into a thought that won't leave your head or your heart or your gut. He's inviting us in. And in that conference room, he was inviting me in. But it just felt too big. Because I was so mistaken thinking I would have to do it. And so we finished week eight. And we went back to our simple, safe, predictable life for almost a year till November 5th of 2015 at 3.30 in the afternoon. I got a call from a caseworker that a nine-month-old little boy needed a home. And I said, ma'am, I'm going to do something very uncharacteristic. And she said, what's that? I said, I'm going to ask my husband if this is okay. She said, it's a good idea. And I called Corey at work and I said, tell me you'll love me no matter what. And he said, you wrecked the car again. I was like, no. tell me you'll love me no matter what. And he said, what's going on? And I said, we're about to get in the hottest mess we've ever been in. He said, there's a baby. I said, there's a baby. He said, I'm on my way. And so we loaded up our daughter, Sophie, who was 12 at the time, and our son, Mac, who was nine. And we drove to the back door of the Carter County Department of Children's Services when they opened the doors, there was this fair-skinned, fiery redhead, chubbiest nine-month-old I'd ever seen. And his outfit was way too small, and when I asked about it, they said, well, actually, the outfit he was wearing was so filthy, we had to throw it away. And we tried to bathe him in our drug testing sink, but when you get him home, he desperately needs a bath. And then they handed me his one possession, it was a diaper bag. And I was instructed not to take it in my home for the next 12 to 24 hours so the roaches would crawl out. That was the day that I learned that not in some far off country, not in some other land, here, in our country, our children enter foster care in a borrowed outfit with a roach infested diaper bag. But he smiled and he reached for me and his name is Isaiah. And so we took Isaiah home and, you know, 
it, 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 the presence of God, there's something about saying yes. There's something about taking that step of obedience that's bigger than you, that doesn't make sense. Saying yes to something that your friends don't understand and your family doesn't understand. There's something about taking that step and God shows up. Like in our home, there was more joy and more love and more energy. And so we started joking that it was like we had our own little prophet, Isaiah. And so I would go in in the morning and I would say, well, what's your message from the Lord today? You know, he'd just coo and laugh. And, and so we started reading through the book of Isaiah and we landed on Isaiah 117. And Isaiah 117 basically says, do good, seek justice, take care of the widow, take care of the orphan. But I don't like it when people grab a verse because it like fits nicely with what they're doing or would look cute on a coffee mug or a hashtag. Like, what's the context? Like, who was God speaking to? What came before it? What came after it? And so if you really take a close look at Isaiah 117, God is speaking to his people. And if you look at what comes before it, he's actually quite frustrated. He says, you think I want what you're currently doing? You think I want these new moon festivals and these sacrifices? No, they are making me sick to my stomach. What I want from my people is for you to do good and seek justice and take care of the widow, take care of the orphan. So that became our family's verse. And we started walking our first foster care journey with a little boy named Isaiah. And from 2015 till 2017, what we would learn, we would not be able to walk away from. Because once you know, you know. I would learn that the DCS office was three minutes from my house. I would learn there was a world of pain going on down there that I never learned about in a church pew or at mommy's day out or at kinder music or in my small group. we would learn about removal day. When I was a high school teacher, before I taught at the college level, I knew about children being removed. And in my ignorance, I thought it was to be celebrated. I thought, yay, they'll be safe. They'll get a bath. They'll be at school every day next week. Yay, removal day. But then God let me see it through the eyes of a child and there's nothing to celebrate. They lose mama and they will always want mama. They lose their home, they lose their pets. I can't tell you the children that come into an Isaiah 117 house and say, do you think I'll ever see my cat again? Do you think I'll see my dog? Because sibling groups are hard to place, there's no promise that they'll be placed with their siblings, the only ones that understand that journey. And because we never have enough foster homes, there's no promise they're placed in their same county. So now they just lost their school, that teacher that's been so kind, their friends at recess. Every aspect of this child's life comes crashing down and that child in that traumatized state goes to an office to sit and wait. Sometimes two hours, six hours, 12 hours, three days, no bed, no bath, they wait and they've done nothing wrong. The second thing that stood out to us were case managers themselves. 
Somewhere along the way, caseworkers became the villains. Caseworkers are not the villains. We always say we're not coming to town because DCS isn't doing their job. We're coming to town because it's an impossible job. Like, how do you take a traumatized sibling group of three and a mountain of state's paperwork and sit in a cubicle and tend to both? It can't be done. And the third thing that stood out to us is we need foster families. I do believe it is time for the church to rise up. This was never the state's calling. This was our calling. These are our kids. But I get it. Because the call comes at 2 a.m. And they say we have a sibling group of three. They all have lice. They have zero possessions. Can we bring them to your home right now? How do you say yes to that? And so in January of 2017, which is 117, I did not plan it. God is funny. I finally said yes to a question he asked me in a conference room in 2014. And my yes sounded very much like this. I have no idea what you want me to do, but I will do it. And he took off. I remember sitting in a coffee shop and Googling how to start a nonprofit, because if you want God to have the glory, you put someone totally ill-equipped in charge. I mean, it just can't make sense. So then you say, yay, God. <laughs> I remember in 2017, I had no idea what a domain name was, and I still don't understand who GoDaddy is, but if you give them your credit card information, you get a name. And we bought Isaiah117house.com. We started praying and asking, and we had our first board meeting on February 26th of 2017, and that's when the dream really took shape. What if there was a home? What if there was a home? What if when a child is going through the most traumatic day of their life, they don't go to a cubicle or a conference room, they go to a home with big fluffy furniture and tons of light. And if you need a bath, we don't have a drug testing sink. We have a bathtub with Elmo bubble bath and Mickey bath toys and a big white fluffy towel we're gonna wrap you in, a bath. Teenager, you need a shower? We got shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, new bra, new underwear dignity because you've done nothing wrong what if we could train 40 volunteers and those volunteers could greet that child at the door call them by name and say you are not alone I see you what do you need you want to play outside you want to shoot basketball you want to paint your fingernails you want to make cupcakes you're hungry we got a fully stocked kitchen you want to order a pizza you want to sit on this couch and cry you tell me what you want on a day when you feel like no one's listening. Because you are loved. What if inside that home we could have an office space and we would talk to the department and we'd say, tell us everything you need. And that case manager could bring that mountain of states paperwork and bring that child. You work on the paperwork, we'll love on the child, and together we're going to do this really well. And by the way, case manager, what's your favorite coffee? What's your favorite creamer? There's a grocery list on the fridge. Write down anything you want. Because you are not alone. And we see how hard you're trying. What about that future foster placement? That call might still come at 2 a.m., but what if it got to sound like this? We have a sibling group of three. They've all been at the Isaiah 117 house. 
They had baths. They played outside. They ate dinner. They're in their new pajamas with their teeth brushed. They have bags full of stuff, everything they need for the next two to three days. And by the way, foster family, what do you need? You need a twin bed, crib, diapers, formula, wipes. Don't run to Walmart. We cannot thank you enough for saying yes. You're not alone. What if there was a home? Is anyone in here, with the exception if you're associated with Isaiah 117 else, has anyone else in here ever been to Carter County, Tennessee? One, two, three, three of you. That's more than I expected. I'm not going to lie. Um, any of these three people can uh, testify to what I'm about to say. There's nothing going on in Carter County, Tennessee. Nothing. You all have more going on on one block in Jacksonville than we have in an entire town. Um, we have a Dollar General on every corner. We have a Supercenter Walmart. And we have a state championship football team, Go Cyclones. That's all we got. That's it. And so a friend of mine had agreed to sell their house to us. I wanted to pay cash. They'd agreed to sell their house to us for $75,000. So I go out into Carter County, Tennessee to raise $75,000. It could have been $2 million. I'm like, I need $75,000. In Carter County? Uh-huh. When do you need the money? Yesterday. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. And so a friend of mine approached me and she said, listen, if you're going to do this, you have to have a social media presence. As of 2017, I had never been on the Facebook. I didn't understand why people got on the Facebook. The Facebook always tells me I'm not living my best life, you know, and that wasn't fun. So I, and she said, but if you're going to do this, you have to have a social media presence. I've set up a Facebook page. Go figure it out. She called back the next day. Did you figure out Facebook? Nope, I don't want to be on the Facebook. Rhonda, if you're going to do this, you have to have a social media presence. She called back the next day. Did you figure out Facebook? Nope. Well, 25,000 people have watched the video I posted of you and your husband, and the local news would like to interview you. You should figure out the Facebook. And I was like, I'm on it. The power of the Facebook. Everyone is liking and sharing and liking and sharing. And every local radio station, newspaper, news station, they all wanted to interview me about what if there was a home. And suddenly I couldn't go anywhere in our small town. I mean, I couldn't go to the Walmart. That someone didn't stop me, usually a big burly man, and he'd go like this. He'd say, hey, listen, my wife made me watch that video of you and your husband. I was crying in my coffee. We got to get them kids a home. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. And then a friend of mine made 12 t-shirts on her kitchen counter with a cricket. They said, love, you're not alone because that is our slogan. We want that child to know they're not alone, that caseworker, that foster parent. Our logo on the back, 12 shirts. Well, I'm supposed to post every night at nine. There's something magical about that. I don't know. And so one night at nine, I said, Corey, can I post a picture of you wearing this shirt? He's like, yeah. I was like, do you think people will think we're selling them? He's like, no. We had 100 orders in 30 minutes, and to date, we've sold $250,000 worth of t-shirts we weren't selling. What? What? So then I'd be at the grocery store, and somebody'd grab my groceries and say, run out to your van, get me a large and an extra large, and I'd be, okay. And I was selling t-shirts out of the back of my van. Everybody's liking and sharing. And then children started holding lemonade stands because they heard there were children that needed a home. $7,000 was raised that summer in lemonade. By the fall, we had $75,000 and we paid cash for that home. Come to find out there were some foundational issues 
<laughs> and we needed to remove every load-bearing wall on the first floor of a home built in 1940 with foundational issues so the state would have an open concept. So I was going to use youth groups and put lipstick on this pig, but the codes department said I was not. And so I called a contractor friend and I said, hey, Travis, do you think you could fix the foundational issues and remove all these load-bearing walls on the first floor for free? He was like, Rhonda, what? Let me see what I can do. And I didn't know this, but God did. He had just been hired by the largest developer in a neighboring town. And we got called into that developer, Mitch Cox Companies, four days later and told if we would demo that house to the studs in the next five days, they would rebuild it for free. All new electrical, plumbing, windows, roof, everything. We just needed to demo it to the studs in five days. So I took to my new friend, the Facebook, and I put out an SOS and 23 firefighters showed up and demoed that house to the studs in two days. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Mitch Cox Companies did $90,000 worth of work to that home, never charged us a dime. Keller Williams did our entire backyard, 13000 never charged us a dime. Mr. and Miss Cannon, they own Cannon's Fine Home Furnishings in downtown Elizabethton, Tennessee. They did $16,000 worth of furniture. And they did every room in the house except for the little boy's room because those same firefighters came back and said, can we do the little boy's room as our Christmas project? And on the day of the reveal of the cutest firefighter room you've ever seen, um, they gave me a plaque and it had their emblem in the middle. It was a verse from Isaiah and it said, they will walk through the fire, but they will not be burned. And I started crying the ugly cry because that's the prayer of this home. Like these children are literally walking through the fire but what if it could feel different? And so I'm crying. All these burly firefighters are crying. Finally, one of them says, well, you know, Mike, he just ordered that off Pinterest. And I'm like, firefighter Mike is on Pinterest? Like the entire community rallied. The nursing home held a bake sale. The car show gave us money. The football team did a fundraiser. The fire station, every aspect of this community rallied. And in less than a year, we had a debt-free home we had a fully funded first year's budget in the bank. Every closet was full, every cabinet was full, 40 trained volunteers, and we were ready to serve the children of Carter County. And I remember on the day of that ribbon cutting, I couldn't stop crying. And I just kept saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Never in my 45 years at that time had I seen something so clearly that God was just doing it. Like, it was like watching someone else's life and I was just giving him all the glory, all the glory. And I think he was up there laughing at me because I think he was saying, that is so cute. She thinks there's going to be one house. That is so cute. Because of course, God's not going to just build houses for children in Carter County, Tennessee. And so then Washington County called and then Green and then Sullivan and then Knox and Sevier and Rutherford and Bradley and then Indiana called. Because, of course, he's not going to just build houses for children in Tennessee. And then we got fake websites, fake emails, fake names. And we were told that a small documentary company was coming to film us for two days. And on the day the small documentary company from New York was supposed to walk through the door, a guy by the name of Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs, yeah, he walked through the door because come to find out he has a Facebook show 
called Returning the Favor, and they filmed us for two days. And our episode aired on March 9th of 2020, and two million people watched it. And on March 13th of 2020, the world shut down. And when rest of the world was asking, where is God? I was watching him move mountains in the middle of a global pandemic for children that he's never forgotten. 35 states and two countries have reached out wanting an Isaiah 117 house. It's, that's how big the problem is, but that's how big our God is. Now, I remember I was on the phone with a lady from California, and she said, how many children are in custody in the state of Tennessee? And I said, 8,000. She said, there are 8,000 children in my county in California. And I got off that phone, and I was right back in that conference room in 2014. And I was crying, and I couldn't pick my head up. It's too big. It's too big, God. You got the wrong girl. It's too big. And all of a sudden, I saw myself, and I was holding this little bitty rock. And God was saying, drop the rock, Rhonda. Just drop the rock. Drop it. And I let go. And this little bitty rock hit this huge body of water and ripples. He said, you just drop the rock. I'll take care of the ripples. And so the ripple that brought us here was a couple, Carl and Danae Bunso. They submitted a video of them and their entire family, the Bunso Bunch, all 47 of them. Carl and Danae, their heart breaks for the children of your county. And they are working tirelessly, not only to get this house built, to get it funded, to get it staffed. And not only are they doing that, they are currently serving children because you have children sitting in an office right They're doing all of this on a volunteer basis because they want it so badly. And we need you. That's been the beauty of this ministry. I am watching God rally his people. I am watching God build an army to fight for these children. And I'm going to be honest with you. We've looked the other way far too long. These have always been our children. Um, I was told I could talk as long as I wanted to, but I think he's regretting this decision at this point. <laughs> he's like, wow, I could keep going. Um, I do want to share one quick story. I'll be super fast, but I just want to kind of paint a picture of what an Isaiah 117 house can be for a child on their darkest day. Um, we had a five-year-old little girl go to school. This is a very common scenario. Get ready to go to the bus. And some adults and her principal stop her and say, you're not going to be able to go home this afternoon. And they take her to the office. That happens all the time. It's far easier to remove a child from school than to go into their home. And so normally that child would sit in that principal's office for maybe hours, then go to the DCS office for hours. But they live in a community with an Isaiah 117 house. And so that little girl went to the Isaiah 117 house. And she met Miss Jody, who's in her mid-70s and Miss Corey, who's in her mid-30s. 
and they played and they took a bath and they found out she had a school program the next day and they bought her this really pretty dress with this matching bow and lavishly loved all over her. And that night she went to her foster placement and we made sure the foster placement had everything they needed. She had everything she needed. And that's where our work usually finishes. But about a month later, the foster family called back and said, she's getting ready to turn six. And we asked her, like, what do you want to do for your birthday? Chuck E. Cheese, trampoline park, swimming pool. What do you want to do for your birthday? She's like, I'm going to the Isaiah 117 house and make sure my best girlfriends, Jody and Corey, are there. Y'all, I meet people all the time. I meet 40-year-olds that say, I still remember the tile floor. I meet, I meet 30-somethings that say, I remember the smell of that cop car. And not only being just sad for myself, but being so sad for my sister and wishing she didn't have to be there. This day never leaves their minds. But what if it could feel different? What if it could be a place with so much love, it's the only place you could imagine having your six-year-old birthday party? That's what our God does. Thank you for letting me share this morning.